there, Bed Zeners. Welcome back to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a more compassionate plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki. And this is Larissa. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest. Her name is Erin Gleason. Erin is the author, illustrator, and photographer behind the New York Times bestselling cookbook, The Forest Feast, The Forest Feast for Kids, The Forest Feast gatherings and the popular blog by the same name her latest book the forest feast mediterranean was inspired by an extended family trip to portugal spain and italy where she and france was, oh and france yes and she was <laughs> able to experience the flavors and signature dishes of this part of the mediterranean when she came home she had a lot of notes and a lot of pictures and she created 100 vegetarian recipes and cocktails, I should say. <laughs> Not 100 cocktails, but, well, that would be something, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Those were included in the recipe, <laughs> um, inspired by her trip. Erin lives in a cabin in the woods in Northern California, where she creates simple and delicious vegetarian recipes inspired by her weekly farm box. So we will be joined with Aaron, by Erin in just a bit. But before we do that, we do have a new rating. Yay! Yay! Come the arms, come the I was just going to say that. <laughs> We've been together for 17, almost 18 years. So it's like we, we think the same things all the time, freak each other out. All right. So Kermit the Frog Arms it is. Uh, we have a rating and a review from, let me see, from Be a Nice Human, 1981. That sounds like, like good advice. Be a nice human, 1981. <laughs> uh, and, and today, not just in 1981. Uh, all right, so uh, this title is one of the best podcasts. The review says this, I absolutely love this podcast. Love all the great information they give to people that are transitioning or already vegan. Love the no judgment zone and they show love to all. I always look forward to listening on my 45-minute commute to and from work. Thanks, ladies, for all you do. What's up, peas and carrots? What up? So thank you so much, Be <laughs> a Nice you. Human. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You are a nice human. You are. That is very nice. That was a very ni <laughs> a nice human with a nice review. That's right. So before we get into our interview, let's talk about today's sponsor, who is the Golden Apple Roundtable. If you're not familiar with our folks at the Golden Apple Roundtable, these are the people that keep vegetarians and going, they literally keep the lights on here, literally now, right? Because we do this full time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, they support us through patreon.com. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get support from their fans, followers, and community members. Many people don't realize that there are costs involved with putting together a podcast. And we've been doing this for quite a long time now. So we have incurred quite a bit of cost over the years for media hosting, website hosting, equipment, etc. Monetary support we receive through these folks at the Golden Apple Roundtable via Patreon goes directly back into the cost of producing the podcast and keeping it going free to our listeners on a weekly basis. This is episode 329. Mm. So we've been doing this every week since 2013. If you're interested in supporting us on a monthly basis, please head out to patreon.com forward slash vegetarians. And we just recently refreshed that page, giving it a little bit of a different look. And you're going to see a, a video of Larissa and me. And in that video, we discuss the, mi the mission of vegetarian Zen. And then you're also going to see on that same page, some various levels of support, anywhere from a dollar a month to $50 a month or anything you customize that to be. Those are just some 
levels we have there. But, you know, if you think about it, a dollar a month is, is about a quarter a show, but that really helps us. It goes a long way because there are a lot of folks that we have contributing at a dollar uh, a month, and that really is helpful. Certain right. levels will even qualify you for some vegetarians in swag, such as a car magnet, recyclable grocery bag, stickers, or a t-shirt. If you're not interested in contributing on a monthly basis, we totally get it. We also have a one-time button located on our website under the uh, Support Us tab, and it says Buy Us a Juice, where you can provide a one-time monetary contribution to help support the show. And we do have some exciting announcements today. We have some inductions into the Golden <laughs> Roundtable. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to jump you in. We're just going to, uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine what that would involve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we have uh, Casey Robertson, who is our a new Carrot Crusader. And we also have Erin, who she actually was a member of the Golden Apple Roundtable, but just upped her monthly support. So thank you very much, Erin. Thank you. And then new Rutabaga rock star, Amy Stanton. Woohoo! Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Amy. You guys yes. are awesome. And then, and then we do have a gentleman who bought us a juice at the terrific tomato level. So Jeff Phillips, thank you so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. And this is the only kind of tomato juice I like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are we ready to get into the interview with Aaron? Let's do this. Okay, so for years, Forest Feast readers, who are Erin's community members, have been transported to her picturesque cabin in the woods through her stunning photography of magic gatherings and vibrant vegetarian cooking. Her latest book, The Forest Feast Mediterranean, is going to do the same thing for you, but it's going to transport you to the Mediterranean. How cool is that? It is awesome. So she's going to take us there via recipes that she created that were inspired by her trip to this part of the world. And, so, her, and her amazing photography. Yes, definitely. We're going to talk about that in our interview. So let's uh, get to it. Let's bring Erin on the show. Welcome to the show, Erin. Welcome, Thank Aaron. you so much for having me. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we get to talking about your book, let's Let's uh, talk a little bit about you. Can you share some of your background and, and how you got to be the uh, creator of these, uh, this awesome book we're going to talk about? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Northern California um, in Sebastopol, which is part of Sonoma County in a pretty rural area. I grew up in, in the middle of an apple orchard. And I would say I had like sort of hippie parents. They gardened a lot <laughs> and we were vegetarian for most of growing up and even vegan for a good stretch. And um, I think my family was just always, you know, interested in cooking together. And um, there was a lot of talk around healthy food. And um, so that was kind of, you know, my beginning of being interested in, in food. But I was also always really interested in art and took art classes from the time I was five. Very yeah. nice. Did, did you have a big family? Um, I just have one brother, but my extended family is quite big. My parents have six and eight um, oh, wow. siblings. So a lot of cousins and a lot of, I don't know, sort of family parties and entertaining and wow. um, people around food. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so you have some background in art, you were saying. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I think I was just always really, you know, 
from a, from being a little kid, like really loved drawing and painting. And I took watercolor classes from this woman after school for years, starting from when I was five. Um, and then when it came time for college, I decided to, to major in art. I went to UC Santa Barbara and was a fine art major for my bachelor's and, and got really into photography around that time. And um, I had a professor who was from New York and really inspired me to move there right after I finished my bachelor's. So I did. I had like no money and didn't really know anyone. And I had a, a, a sublet from Craigslist and I just... <laughs> Nice. went. <laughs> um, and it was really fun. I thought I'd stay there for like a little while and try to figure things out. But my goal was to like move there to become a photographer. I thought like all the, all the magazines were there and I didn't really know like what kind of photography I was interested in, but I interned at Condé Nast Traveler magazine and for a oh. national geographic photographer and for an architectural photographer. And, um, you know, meanwhile I like babysat and walk dogs and <laughs> worked at a restaurant and did like a million other things to like maintain the artist life wow. in New York city. That <laughs> is I, exciting. It was fun. Yeah. I ended up staying for nine years and I, oh. I, I decided to go back to school to get my master's in photography so that I could teach photography, um, which I did at the fashion Institute of technology in Manhattan for about four years. Wow. So that was kind of a nice balance to, to being a freelance photographer while teaching and I really focused, and on the freelance side, I really focused um, on shooting food. That was sort of my favorite subject. Right. So I was always well, looking it, for well, it food shows. Journalism. It shows in your <laughs> book, for sure. And we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So, how did you make that trans? So, you're in photography, and how, and you said you started. You really liked food photography. How did you get into actually creating recipes? Yeah. So. You know, when we lived in New York, I was always working with chefs who would create the dishes and then I would go in and photograph them. Um, it was sometimes for publication. I was shooting for the, the New York Times dining section a bit and for different like PR companies who would just like send me to a restaurant to shoot with a chef. So I wasn't creating food. I was just photographing other people's food, mm-hmm. um, but just was so inspired by that. And um, I did for my thesis project this um I worked with a chef who had a pastry restaurant. His name is Will Goldfarb. And I think there's an episode about him on Chef's Table, I think, right now. <laughs> He's fascinating. But he really treated the each plate like a little piece of art or a sculpture and um, used color and texture a lot, which I thought was really inspiring. And um, Anyway, so uh, I was working a lot with different chefs and watching them plate and and watching them think about food, but I certainly didn't cook that way. <laughs> I mean, these were like mostly really fancy, you know, restaurants right. that have fine dining type places. So when my husband got a job in California and we decided to move west, um, that was sort of a big point for me because I was like, oh my God, I like moved to New York to kind of try and be a photographer. And I still feel like I haven't quite made it. Like I had some great successes, but I don't know. You just never, there's always more, right? To like, mm-hmm being a successful artist and I don't know what I thought that would be maybe a big studio or something but um I got to to California and just by chance we found an ad for this little cabin we're actually in Silicon Valley but um just kind of right up the hill from Palo Alto um is a pretty wooded area and it's only like 20 minutes to town but feels pretty remote and we just found this little cabin and you know, I was suddenly like in the woods after coming from Brooklyn <laughs> and I didn't know anybody and my husband was going to his new job every day and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I just started 
photographing food and I didn't have a chef to make it for me. So I was making it myself and we signed up for one of these um, weekly CSA, like local farm boxes. And I was getting um, just, you know, California produce is so amazing. Um, And so we were getting all these different things every week. And I was just kind of looking for the most colorful items in the box and trying to make something interesting with them. And because my training is not on the culinary side, everything was super, super simple. And I was kind of looking for something that was tasty, but also very simple to make. Um, And just as a way to share my ideas, I, I created a blog and I didn't, this is like 2011 and I didn't really know anything about the blogging world so much. I, I didn't really follow a lot of blogs. I was more just, it was a Tumblr page and I was using it as, as a way to like make an online portfolio that I could like send out to editors to hopefully get food photography jobs. Like my goal was to shoot other people's cookbooks. Right. <laughs> so I was trying to like make a, a portfolio. Yeah. But after about six months, a, a literary agent from New York reached out and she said, I think you should turn your blog into a book. <laughs> I was like, wow. really? Nice. Really? Wow. <laughs> I'm ready for that. <laughs> isn't it crazy how things work out like that? I mean, yeah. everything works out like it's supposed to. And I mean, but you probably never, ever thought that that's where you would end up. No. Yeah. I just, you know, I thought me make my own cookbook. Like that's not even <laughs> like, that's something I do like way down the road in my career. Like not now. And, but it took somebody else telling me like, no, I think you're ready. And I think I can help you. And right. yeah, it was exciting. So this was the beginning of the Forest Feast um, series then, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my, fr- my first book came out in 2014 and it's just called The Forest Feast. Okay. And it was all, I think like what kind of set it apart was that um, while I was shooting these dishes that I was making at our little cabin, um, I was so bored by like my dining room table and my tablecloths and um, I didn't really have like a prop library or anything I started collecting things at rummage sales but I didn't have that much and um, so I just started walking out in the woods with my plate of Brussels sprouts or whatever it was (laughs) and I was like I was like maybe you know these Brussels sprouts would look great like on this mossy log or on these fallen leaves or I was trying to find kind of like natural textures outside that would complement each dish Um, and so yeah I think the the kind of style of it was different than what other people were doing. Um, just like the way things were kind of placed and photographed and styled. And right. yeah, I think that's sort of what made it stand apart. Well, I so, had mentioned to you before we started talking or before we started recording today that uh, Northern California is just one of my favorite places to be. I, and I only passed through that I was helping a friend after college move up to Seattle. And, you know, we were just these out of college living the hippie life yeah no, no real uh commitments to anything and so we went up i-5 right along all of california and when i hit northern awesome. california i had just never seen trees like that because i'm from south texas yeah. and ours are not a lot of beautiful things about texas but i would say the trees at least in south texas are nothing compared i just remember the trees in northern california just shooting up into the sky so yeah it's just beautiful yeah we do have some we're in the middle of those ancient redwoods mm-hmm. and we sort of mm-hmm. look out on a canyon of them um yeah. we have not the trees ancient or something tr- scrub is what we have <laughs> yeah oh that's pretty too though i love it i think it's pretty <laughs> you know i really love city life and coming to the woods like straight from the city 
think there's really something about these trees being around me all the time that was very calming and kind of inspiring and kind of allowed me to get to a place creatively where I don't know, I could just not be as um, sort of concerned with what other people were thinking. And it, I was just able to experiment and go in a new creative direction, which I don't know if I would have had it not been for these trees, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, I want to I want to talk about your newest book, your Mediterranean book uh, in a minute. But you said something that that made me wonder. So with you being out in the woods, and I know you said that you get the CSA boxes and uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And uh, do you do any collecting? Um, I know, you know, some people go really kind of hardcore. Uh, oh, like foraging? Granola. Yeah. So do you I don't. With, like mushrooms, corns or anything like this, you know? No, I really don't. Um, every, everybody asks if uh-huh. I forage out in the woods and I'm, I'm more having cocktails out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that is perfectly cool. All right. Yeah. No, I mean, We'd be friends easily, Erin. <laughs> yeah, all right. Like that's me too. No. I'd be, I'd be I, paranoid, quite <laughs> honestly, to eat some of the things. I know there's plenty yeah. of ways that people who know mm-hmm. what they're doing can do that. But me, myself, I know myself, I'm probably going to go on some weird trip eating some yeah yeah no I just don't know I mean there's certainly a few things that grow like we have beautiful blackberry bushes in the summer Uh and we have wild plum trees that um, we get a bunch of plums like in late summer Um, we have bay trees and I pick the bay leaves to cook with nice Um, I also I pick a lot of just like greenery and different um, leaves to use in flower arrangements in the house but as far as cooking I don't do any serious foraging right right. (laughs) yeah Okay, so th- that series and your forest, uh, the forest feast ne- went on to have you had a, a kids book, correct? Mm-hmm, yep. A- and then a forest feast gatherings. So is that more like uh, talk it's a little bit? Inter- maybe you can- yeah, yeah. So that's an entertaining book, and it's all set up um, in menus for different occasions that you can host, like vegetarian menus. And um, so there's like a brunch menu and a cocktail party menu and a fall dinner party menu and things like that. And um, so the first three books are all shot at the cabin and totally inspired by this place. And I show kind of like pictures of dinner parties that we have here and interior shots and exterior shots of the cabin. It's small and like most of our spaces outdoors. So we, we end up entertaining a lot um, on the deck outside. And um, yeah, I think after like seven years of photographing here at the cabin I was sort of ready for new inspiration and my husband got a a three-month sabbatical from his job Hmm. and so we decided to travel for that and yeah so that was the inspiration for this fourth book the forest feast mediterranean that just came out um so we decided to go to europe and I yeah I think um you know he grew up in new york city so he really wanted some solid city time and we chose barcelona as a starting point and um, I was sort of interested in Mediterranean cuisine in, in general. We didn't do like a full picture of Mediterranean. We kind of focused on the Western part of the Mediterranean. But um, we did Spain, Italy, France, and Portugal over the course of three months with our two little kids. They were, Max was nine months old and Ezra was three at the time when we left. And um, 
That is quite a challenge, I'm sure. (laughs) It was, yeah. A lot of parents out there are going, what were you thinking? I I think a lot of our friends are like, you guys are crazy to take a baby and a toddler. A lot of parents don't want to go to the store with their... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. But, um, well, first of all, my husband is an excellent traveler, so he makes it easier on all of us. But... um, you know, I think we have like tantrums over ice cream at home. So why not have it over like gelato in Italy? <laughs> That's true. Cobblestone Street. <laughs> That's true. I've been known awesome. to have the occasional uh, tantrum over ice cream too. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of adjust um, your expectations for your days. I think when you're traveling with kids, like we would, um, you know, we can do as many stops or as many museums or um, go for as long, but we would have kind of big outings um, in the morning and then come back for like a siesta in the, right. in the afternoon for the kids. And then we go back in, in the evening. And so like in Barcelona, um, people eat dinner starting at about 10 PM. So we had to kind of adjust for ah. that too. So we, we ended up making lunches, our, our big meals out and we would go like right when they opened, try to get a table outside, uh, which was easier with the kids. Um, but Spain has a very welcoming, um, kind of culture for dining with kids or just taking kids anywhere. So that was, that was easy. They're just sort of welcome. And in the evenings we would walk, we got an apartment for a month in the Echample neighborhood, which was awesome and a little off the beaten path and not super touristy, but still so fun to walk around and so many cute restaurants and shops and everything. Um, but each evening around five or six o'clock, we would walk to a different plaza sort of near where we were staying and there's often a playground in the plaza and a few tapas bars so the kids could play and or you know our toddler could play and uh, we would sit at a table like right in front of the playground and order patatas bravas and tortilla española (laughs) and get some sangria and it was a a nice kind of family feel in barcelona which is great yeah I remember reading that in your book about how most of the playgrounds had these little cafes where you can get. Like, yeah. I was like, how brilliant is that? Why don't we have that? <laughs> we Cocktails need more of that here. Yeah, exactly. What could go wrong? <laughs> oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you went to France, Portugal, and uh, Spain and Italy, right? Yes. Yeah. So after our month in Barcelona, we moved to uh, the south of France and got an Airbnb um, in a little town called Antibes which is near Nice and Cannes, right on the water. And again, just uh, an ancient town with cobblestone streets and an outdoor market every day. This was November by the time we got there and still just vibrant market mm-hmm. with amazing produce and um, great restaurants. Everything was kind of in walking distance from where we stayed. And throughout the whole trip, I was just getting a lot of inspiration from the markets and what was kind of being grown in each area, but also from restaurants. And I was just constantly taking notes and photos to compile this huge list that I then brought home with us and tried to recreate vegetarian versions of what we saw. There were a lot of vegetarian options while we traveled, but sometimes, you know, it's hard. I think when you're traveling, like, um, I feel like if I'm only in a place for a few days, I want to get like a real solid feel for the local food and the traditional dishes often, which include meat. So I would sort of look at the menu and see what they were and order usually some version of eggs and potatoes, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) or pasta in Italy. Mm -hmm. But, um, so for example, um, in Portugal, there was this 
uh, dish that I kept seeing on menus. And I think my husband ordered it at one point, but it had white fish and I don't eat seafood, so I didn't try it, but I could see that it was really beautiful. It had lots of fresh herbs and different beans and this white fish sort of um, torn up in, in small pieces and all mixed together for, for a really fresh bean salad. And um, so I, I was like, how can I recreate that in a vegetarian way? So mm. I played around with it a bit at home and decided to use fresh mozzarella that was torn up in pieces Ooh. like the fish had and mixed it with garbanzos and fresh parsley and... Um, it, I, for me, it kind of was a nice uh, substitute, add that similar texture um, and some more protein. And so that's like how I was trying to think while I was traveling. How can I make this my own, but also vegetarian and also inspired by something local that I saw? Um, yeah. So did you take notes while you were I did. Yeah, dining? a ton of notes. Yes, a ton of notes. I had a a really long Google Doc on my phone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Technology is amazing for that, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> so yeah. over, overall, though, mm -hmm. how, how difficult did you find it? I know you mentioned that you're not 100% vegetarian, and it sounds like right. your, husband is, um, your husband is not. Yeah, he'll, he'll try things a little bit more than me. Like at home, we're pretty much... Um, all vegetarian, like in our daily lives, we're basically vegetarian, but uh -huh. um, he will try things, especially like when traveling, he'll, he'll want to try like the local dish or um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So how difficult was it? Mm -hmm. Was it, did you find it fairly easy? Were they, were they pretty used to people not want, having meat or did they like here in Texas, it's gotten a lot better, but we're like uh -huh. meat central. <laughs> so right, yeah. you say no meat, that's usually they look at you strange. So, okay. Well, how about chicken? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. about, yeah right. Oh, <laughs> or, how, or how about fish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you eat fish, right? Um, yeah, it was like, it was a little challenging at times. I think I did feel sometimes like I was always ordering some version of, like I said, eggs and potatoes, yeah. especially in Spain. But in Portugal, too. Um, in Italy, it was easier. All the pizzas and pastas made it easier. We also found this kind of to-go dish that you could order at the counter at a bakery, deli-type place in different spots um, on the Ligurian coast of Italy, kind of near Genoa and Cinque Terre was the area that we traveled in. Mm -hmm. um, and in this small town called Porto Venere, um, <laughs> south of Cinque Terre, uh, we found a rice pie. And it came in several different varieties, but it was basically you could, great for like day old rice. If you had leftover rice from something, you can mix it with some herbs and eggs and cheese um, and then place it all in a casserole dish and bake it and then cut it into slices. Mm. And it's a great kind of vegetarian to go um, snack. And they also had sweet versions of it with cinnamon and sugar. Um, but that was a good vegetarian kind of you know, dish that I hadn't seen before. Um, in on the, on the coast of um, France, and also right across the uh, right across the border in Italy, we found a couple. I love to see like the the same dish being made by two different countries, only miles apart, but they each have their own twist on it. So in uh, this, this was like a chickpea cake, kind of a chickpea pancake. Um, called Soka that we found um, at the market in Antibes on the south of France. And it's basically just chickpea flour and water that you mix together. And then they put it in their big wood-fired oven and bake it really quickly. Um, and then cut it into to wedges and put black pepper on it. 
that was another great vegetarian thing that we got to go. And just across the border in Italy, they had something very similar, but they cut it into to kind of like long strips. And they were called panisette. And it's a, a chickpea fry, but it's basically the same batter, batter just kind of like in a different form. Um, and it came kind of like in one of those paper cones and it was a street oh, food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's always so fun. Good. Those paper cones are always fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So there's definitely, um, things like when we were in Madrid, I've, I always have a hard time, you know, if you're eating at these sort of traditional places, sometimes it, the food is a little heavier, uh, but you feel like you want the local traditional experience, but then there's like the great new vegetarian restaurant that's <laughs> all hip and selling you know, you know, just super fresh vegetarian sandwiches or wraps or whatever it is. And I kind of wanted to eat that instead, but I felt like I should eat at the local (laughs) tacos place and get the like traditional experience. So there's, I don't know, there's that balance too. I think when you're traveling and trying to eat veg. Yeah. Right. So what was your favorite over over the three months and all the places you, you stayed and visited? uh, What was your absolute favorite? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I really loved Southern Portugal, the Algarve region. Um, so we were, uh, staying in Lisbon and we drove, we rented a car and drove South to the Algarve and Portugal is a cool place to travel. I feel like it's, especially the South felt, uh, not quite so touristy. Um, so it's easy to get around, easy to drive, um, a little bit more affordable than the other places we visited. And uh, the beaches were beautiful. And there's all these ancient beach towns right on the water. Um, and we stayed there in a town called Lagouche, which is written Lagos, uh, but pronounced Lagouche. We stayed there for a week and liked it so much that we decided to stay for another week. But we moved a town over to a place called Praia da Luz. And uh, I think when you're traveling off season, you can... Um, kind of book the Airbnb of the day before and it worked. Right. So we did that because uh, it was December by the time we got there. And we chose it because we wanted to try and keep moving south for warmer weather. And it was pretty nice, uh, pretty nice weather in December. Um, but it was like every day we explored a different beach town, sat at different beach cafes right on the sand. Um, we went on a, a tour of the grottos off the coast of Lagouche, and the people were really friendly. There's actually a large uh, British expat community there. Um, I think maybe in like when we lived in New York, I felt like people would move south to to Florida to retire for warmer weather, and it felt like that a little bit. Like all the the British people would retire in the Algarve <laughs> of Portugal. <laughs> so English was spoken, which was easier to get around for us a little bit, and it was just beautiful. We saw so much agriculture. We went. Um, olive oil tasting at an olive oil farm and there's just groves of citrus everywhere and olive trees and uh, fig trees and bougainvillea it's beautiful so I would recommend going there (laughs) so you get back from this three-month trip which I imagine Mm -hmm. was kind of I'm on one hand you're like probably happy to be home but then on another hand you're just incredible that you what you just left but yeah. you have this huge document with all these notes now <laughs> yeah. so how did you sit down to like go through this i think that that could be you know you're you're looking at all these notes did you just pick one of your recipes or how, how did you what was that process like yeah so i just sort of sifted through it all and sifted through all my photos to try and remember how things were presented and plated and um 
I feel like by looking at my photos, sometimes I can remember the dish more than my notes. Mm-hmm. But I broke the the um, book into different sections, um, sort of small plates and then salads and desserts and cocktails, so on. So I tried to have – each section is not balanced. Like there's a lot more vegetable sides than um, desserts. But I tried to have like a certain amount in each section. And so I would try to pull my ideas into each category and organize them that way. And for certain things like uh, burrata, <laughs> burrata cheese, which is like this amazing fresh mozzarella on the outside, ricotta creamy on the inside. If you haven't had it, it's like the best thing in the world. And so for certain things, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll just have like a couple broccoli dishes or a couple bean dishes. But for burrata, I was like, I had like four or five, I think. And I told my editor, I was like, is it bad to have like so many burrata? And she was like, well is it ever, can you ever have too much burrata? And I was like, well, good point. So we, we had a lot of, there's some extra burrata. So mm-hmm. I tried to think about ingredients and have like a fair amount of different types of ingredients, except burrata, yeah. <laughs> plenty of burrata. Yeah. I love that your book had that small plate section and also the cocktail section. I got you always, I always appreciate a cookbook with a cocktail section. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. There are certain things that really um, stood out to us as we were traveling, like in Barcelona, one day I looked around and everybody was drinking this red kind of cocktail looking drink that I didn't recognize. And it had like a slice of orange in it and sometimes an olive in it. And I asked the server and it was, um, vermouth, just straight vermouth, which, um, I'm used to like making a martini with a spray of vermouth (laughs) or something, you know, but in Spain, they drink the red sweet vermouth, and it's not super sweet, but um, they just drink it straight over ice and with a couple um, different garnishes. We saw different garnish variations, but um, so I had to include that in the book because I feel like it's sort of an experience. People drink it like a like a mimosa on the weekend, uh, like on a, it's like a Sunday afternoon type drink. Um, try that. Yeah, it's good and simple. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I want to talk about this, the actual physical presence of this book um, for a second. I mean, this, it, this is a force, this book. It is oh, thank you. absolutely <laughs> stunning. And the, the um, I mean, everything from the, the pictures of your travels to the pictures of the food. Um, I love that in the beginning, you've got a long introduction that, you know, tells everything about uh, your trips and about you and and then you've got but then you have a separate page that has your itinerary yes. which is just super cool it's just like a short little you know breakdown that has that and um, but then uh, beyond that just the the textures of the backdrops for the that you've got your plates on and your recipes just every page is a different texture and pattern and color and I mean it's just visually stunning oh thank you so nice you did such an amazing job thank you well I'm lucky that my publisher really lets me do all the parts and I kind of treat it like one big art project Mm -hmm. and because my background is in art I think I really from the beginning with all the books wanted to show the recipes in sort of a diagram illustrated form instead of just type on a white page. Mm-hmm. So every page is full color. And, um, for this book, um, previously I've had like for the recipe, I've had a, a photo of all the ingredients, but for this book, I painted the ingredients. Mm-hmm. So like if that. it has 
yeah. an onion and then a tomato and some broccoli. There's like little watercolor illustrations of each um, ingredient. And yeah. I kind of combine that with my own handwriting and I hand paint the watercolor titles for each recipe. And I wanted to be able to include as many of those uh, travel photos as possible. So I took a lot of photos of landscapes where you could see something at the bottom, but there was a lot of sky space in the photo. And then I layered um, my recipe in the sky of the photo. Mm -hmm. So you, and, and I tried to include a little story with some context about where that recipe was inspired by um, or a little story about where we were when we ate it. <laughs> the perfect example of that. I'm looking at uh, the fig cake recipe, fig cake with yes. dried cherries. And it <laughs> is, that is exactly what you're describing. It's a, a photo of the uh, monastery at Montserrat in yep. Spain. Um, and you've got your, your text and your little story and, and your, your watercolors of the ingredients and a watercolor of a food processor because that's what you put it in. So yeah. it's just yeah. so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I try to make it just visual enough that you could look at, glance at the page and sort of get a general understanding of like, okay, there's figs and nuts and this and I need right. the food processor. And without yeah. having to read a ton, you kind of say, okay, I think I can make that or I have the stuff in my kitchen to make that. And then on the opposite um, page is the actual photography of the fig cake with cheese and, oh, it looks so good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, I think I mentioned to you too that this is one book, I w cookbook, I wouldn't even – Thing to put in the kitchen i'd want it on my coffee table <laughs> oh good <laughs> well, because well because i think and the other section i really like is the travel guide section where you have some of the your favorite spots that you visited yeah. which we asked you about i think that's that's also um really cool because it's it's yeah, kind of a you. it's kind of like a diary of sorts of your, th mm -hmm. of your three months yeah yeah i like the idea that people they're planning a trip to uh, Barcelona or we went to Sicily for eight days I put like some favorite restaurants and museums and walks and beaches we swam in and yeah well the other thing that stood out to me about this book too is that the ingredients and the recipes themselves were very simple mm -hmm. this was this yes. didn't seem like something you had to go to some Mediterranean specialty store to go <laughs> get all your ingredients from yes. uh, these looked very doable which is because neither one of us, even though I, uh, we, we aren't, I wouldn't say neither one of us are amateur cooks, but we're not um, professional either. <laughs> so it's important to us to have recipes that we're actually going to do. And these look like recipes you're going to do. Yeah, that's my goal. I feel like, you know, if I open a cookbook and it has 20 ingredients and a lot of steps I, and no photo. There's like, okay, no chance I'm going to make that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah exactly. So I feel like, you know, I'm busy mom and whatever. Everybody's busy. And sometimes on a, especially on a weeknight, you just kind of want a simple idea. Um, so I try to have the recipes have five ingredients or fewer. Mm -hmm. Some have more than that, but they're, I really try to keep it simple again, because my background is in art and not on the culinary side. Um, I, th I think I, I'm just, I'm a home cook and I like to keep it simple um, for things like pies. I buy the dough because I feel like I have a better chance of making that pie if I don't have to make the crust. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I do kind of try to keep it as easy as possible. Yeah. So before we tell folks where they can find you and how they can get the book, is there anything else you want to, you want people to know about this book? Well, I think it's, um, you know, 
a little bit of a, a story about our journey as a family and what it's like to travel with kids. And um, I think if anybody's thinking of doing a big trip that, and especially if you have little kids, just do it. It's not that hard. <laughs> you don't have to go for three months either. But yeah, right. I think, um, yeah, I think overall kind of coming home from it and digesting it. One of the things that really stood out in the countries that we visited was this sense of, um, first of all, high quality ingredients and people were really interested, like the, the whole culture was very interested in using, um, you know, olive oil from the next town over and they knew the guy who made it or, you know, oranges that came off their neighbor's tree or, you know, in Spain, it, it seemed like each restaurant uh, served a little bowl of olives when you start the meal and each restaurant um, like brined and seasoned their own olives. Like the olives mm. tasted different in each place because there's so much care put into the, and we have that too in the States, but I think there was, you know, the countries are smaller and they're so agriculturally rich that people really care about using local items. And that really enhances the flavor. I think when, you know, you can use tomatoes that are in season from the market that's just down the street, the flavors are so much better and that can make the recipes much simpler. Like sometimes all you need is some olive oil and salt and pepper on top of that tomato and it's delicious, you know? So I think it reminded me, I mean, I I think especially in California, we're lucky to have a lot of local seasonal produce, but it just kind of reinforced the the idea of trying to find in-season ingredients that don't come from too far away. You certainly don't need to be shipping everything in from Italy to make your Italian food. You can get really good (laughs) ingredients nearby or even grow your herbs on your own deck. And so there's that, but then that was sort of coupled with the idea of uh, really slowing down to have meals together. Like in Barcelona in the morning, people would, you know, get off the subway or drive or whatever and walk to their office and stop at their local cafe and actually sit there or stand at the counter for a few minutes and have their coffee. And they didn't get coffee to go. And at lunchtime in Genoa, we saw, um, so many people coming to this one popular restaurant called Il Genovese. Um, and people are coming right from work. And But people are sitting together for an hour and they're having a glass of wine and they're really talking and they're, you know, caring about the good food. And um, there's just a sense of people really making time for for gathering together, having conversation, enjoying the food and not kind of rushing through it just for sustenance. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I think our family likes to try and sit together for, for mealtimes anyways, but this really <laughs> encouraged, made me think about like, there's some real importance behind that and really trying to make time at home for that. Right. Yeah, we definitely are a fast food nation. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And we're learning. I think we're like moving yeah. past it, but um, you know, they have a, a strong culinary history in Europe. It goes back so many generations. Like there was this walnut sauce that I learned to make from a chef in uh, Cinque Terre in Italy. And it's like his grandmother taught him how to make it. And her grandmother taught her and her grandmother taught her. And it was like, the like I have certain recipes that have been passed down, you know, from my parents or maybe my grandparents, but not things that have been like in my town's culture for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's this like sense of like real his- culinary history that gets passed down with people and people value that really they really value that. So yeah, I think we're starting to build that in our culture, which is nice. Hopefully. Yeah. We need Hopefully. to slow down yeah. a little bit for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, Aaron. So where can folks find the book? This book came out uh, in September 
of 2019. It did. Yep. Just, just a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So where, can, where can folks find you? First of all, where's the best way to, to, to see some of what you're working on? And then also where can they buy the book? Yeah. So I am just at theforestfeast.com. Forest has one R. Um, on Instagram, I'm at theforestfeast. Um, on my on my website, theforestfeast.com slash cookbook, you can see a link to buy the book, but it's on Amazon. It's at your local bookstore. It's at Barnes & Noble. There's actually signed copies online at Barnes & Noble. Um, but it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's fun. Cool. It should be, it should be in your local bookstore. Go there first. <laughs> All right. And we'll have links to that. And then what about on social media? Where can folks find you? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at the forest feast and, um, on Facebook, I'm just facebook.com slash the forest feast. And, um, I'm also on Pinterest at the forest feast. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. And again, well done on this book. It is incredible. And uh, thank we, hope, you. we know our yeah. folks are going to enjoy it too. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Yeah, thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you talking with me today. And keep <laughs> us posted for your, your future adventures. We want to hear all about those. Too. I Definitely. will. Yeah. Definitely. I'm, we'll look at having you back as well. Thank you. I'm working on a California book. That's the next oh, one. Oh, <laughs> nice. Right. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun. Well, thanks again, Erin. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was an incredible interview with Aaron. And like I said, I, I think you described it best when you said this book is a force. It it's is. Not even, you know, with a lot of cookbooks, you just kind of put, we have a stack of cookbooks and we have them there. And whenever you're going to make something, you pull it out. But this one is beautiful to look at. Yeah, you don't want to hide it. You know, you don't want to hide it. And, you you know, the pictures of the different this different part of the world is just incredible. So we yeah. definitely will hook you guys up with all the links, as we mentioned, in the show notes, and also a link to where you can purchase the book on Amazon. That's right. I think that does it for our episode this week. Until next time, peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.